Everybody, Jim Minnery here on I'm Glad You Said That. It's Wednesday, December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day. Um, not a, a lot to say about that. I haven't prepared many comments other than just uh, praise God for the service men and women who've given in their lives uh, to our country and uh, how grateful we all should be. It's a big snowstorm here in South Central Alaska. We got about, I don't know. 16, 18 inches. It's beautiful. So much for global warming. I've been a big fan of global warming, which is not a a politically correct thing to say, but sometimes I get tired of the snow and cold here in the Great Land. But anyway, it's a beautiful day. You're tuned into I'm Glad You Said That. If you haven't subscribed to our uh, podcasts or to our uh, alerts, please do so at akfamily.org. You can do both by going there, akfamily.org. I want to thank our friends, uh, um, John and Sandy Powers, as always, for being our sponsors to help this uh, show get out across the great land and uh, um, know that you can download it anywhere you download your podcasts. And it's, of course, playing on uh, on KATB 89.3 and KVNT on the AM side. So, very glad to be speaking. This is actually a couple days ago, but I spoke with Travis Weber. He's the Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs for Family Research Council and uh, happened to have been working with him very closely on the Respect for Marriage, the misnamed Respect for Marriage Act, uh, leading up to the very disappointing vote by Senator Dan Sullivan on that. And no... It wasn't a gift to the faith community that Senator Sullivan and I have a, a big-time disagreement on. He thinks that it is. Um, in terms of after Obergefell, the same-sex marriage vote or the decision by the Supreme Court in 2015 left a lot of us hanging. There's no doubt that there were, have obviously been some lawsuits and some challenges to religious liberty and freedom after the Obergefell decision, but... What the Respect for Marriage Act, or what we call the Disrespect for Marriage Act, did was actually create more opportunities for the left and the woke and the LGBT activists to come at us full speed ahead. And the way Travis has put it, and I've heard from others, is that uh, folks like Senator Sullivan and others, uh, the 12 Republicans that uh, um, voted in support of the same-sex marriage bill, which is essentially what it was and is, it's being voted on the House now. It will come back to the Senate and likely will be the first thing that uh, President Biden signs into law. Um, but we worked very closely together. I'll give Dan Sullivan credit in that we came together as a faith community in his office privately and worked very closely with his chief of staff and others personally on that. And uh, yeah, it was a grave disappointment that they uh, you know, decided to go on the side of the LGBTQ activists, which is what they did, because the reality is groups like Heritage Foundation, the Family Research Council, Alliance Defending Freedom, Franklin Graham, you can go on and on and on about the traditional, biblical, historical uh, organizations that that live in the space of how this impacts them. 
were uh, opposed to this bill without the Senator Lee amendment, which actually had teeth and protected people. And Senator Sullivan decided against that advice. And so we'll see how that plays out down the road. But um, looking forward to having that conversation with Travis Weber. Uh, so tune in for that. One interesting thing that we also uh, have just, as you know, I sent out a, an email recently about the Lori, um, another case in D.C. And her name is Lori Smith. She's the head of 30, uh, or at the U.S. Supreme Court. Lori Smith is the head of 303 Creative, owner and play, and she's a plaintiff in a case now that was just heard recently about the same kind of thing, uh, pushing her into advocating for a view on same-sex marriage as a web designer. And she has a biblical view on marriage and says, you're not going to coerce me to create a message that is counter to my faith. And and the the key uh, uh, point about the discussion, we signed, Alaska Family Action signed on an amicus brief in support of that. I'll read a little bit of that to you here in a second. But essentially what the, the point is, uh, is that Lori Smith and others, like Baronel Stutzman and, and Jack Phillips, the baker, and, and, and all the others, it was never about uh, who they would serve because they all served um, people um, that are in the LGBTQIA plus community. The, that was part of uh, the love of, that they had in them of Christ was that they would always provide a service to them. What they were, what they have a challenge with is uh, is advocating a, a specific message, and the message is that that same sex marriage is equivalent to to marriage and just as uh, good in terms of human flourishing, and that is not the case uh, if you are a, a Bible believing Christian. It's it's simple. There is a line. And that line is where God has created marriage to be a union, a lifelong union of a man and a woman. And it's actually a reflection of him in the Trinity and his love for the bride of Christ, which is us as followers in Jesus. So um, I think most people are, are probably thinking at this stage that it's going to be a good decision based on uh, President Donald Trump's appointments and getting us the majority uh, on the court. And uh, so we should be grateful for that. Uh, and regardless of your view of President Trump, it looks as though from the questioning in the line of um, questioning uh, at the at the high court, and I would encourage you to go to, you can look it up and read the amicus brief that we provided. You can find that at Alliance Defending Freedom, um, and you can also find you know as much as you want on the, the, the actual court case, but um, it's fascinating to me that... We're still having this discussion, but one of the, the things that the brief said that we signed on to was that it's, it's one thing if the pressure to conform remains cultural rather than legal. While online attacks are difficult to endure, one can persevere and still speak. While peer shame can sting, only a small amount of courage is required to preserve one's public voice. State censorship and compulsions, however, are different matters altogether. It is the state that wields the power of the sword. It is the state that can bar entrance into the marketplace of ideas. It is the state that can dictate whether a citizen can open a business or earn a living. Thus, it is the state that is the eternal threat to liberty. Only the state can truly suppress the American idea. And that's, in fact, what's happening now is to say, you don't have freedom, uh, Laurie Smith or Jack Phillips or Baron L. Stutzman or anybody else if you have a biblical view 
and someone is approaching you to present and advocate for their view, which is interesting because the Christian view um, is constantly being shunned away. I have I, 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 you know another example just recently. My my colleague in Virginia, uh, who runs the the Family Foundation of Virginia, recently got turned away from a restaurant because they have a biblical view on marriage. Now, you know, most people would say, okay, well, let's sue them then, because that's a viewpoint discrimination, but that's not what happened. We just said, okay, yeah, that's the way it is. It's going to be discrimination against people of faith, but they actually have that right uh, as, a, as a restaurant. Um, and so you're not going to find a big conservative swing to try to sue people like that, but you're certainly finding it on the other way around. Um, and that's why this decision by the Supreme Court, or the decision by uh, Senator Sullivan and Murkowski and twelve other or ten other Republicans was so um, misguided. So we'll be back here in just a minute, folks, to speak with Travis Weber at, at Family Research Council uh, about that specific issue here. And I'm glad you said that. And we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back, Jim Minnery here on I'm Glad You Said That. I'm really pleased to have on the show today Travis Weber, um, who's the Vice President for Policy and Government Affairs at Family Research Council. Um, Travis, thanks so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. Well, we wanted to talk about uh, the... Um, very badly named Respect for Marriage Act. You and I have been working fairly closely over the last couple of days, and we didn't get the result we were looking for. And we'll dive into details on a, a couple different angles about that. But before we do, how about uh, for the folks listening in, tuning in on podcast or radio, um, tell us a little bit about who Travis Weber is, what brought you to this place in your journey right now, doing policy and government affairs for Family Research Council. Give us a little uh, summary of who Travis is. Sure, yeah. So I've been at Family Research Council working here in Washington, D.C. for almost nine years now. And, um, you know, as, as folks may know, we are concerned with defending the family here in D.C., in our nation's capital, and that often revolves around um, the fight for the unborn, the fight to defend the family against attacks, um, in the area of human sexuality and and protecting the freedom to live out our faith both here and around the world. And so that's, you know, the the nutshell of what we do. Um, And uh, uh, the Lord called me here, you know, and and the work, you know, the the, the exact focus of the work has changed over the years. But um, but in essence, you know, we we as believers need to, um, you know, determine how, our, uh, the scripture and um, a biblical worldview um, intersects with the the current public policy issues of the day with which our nation is confronted, and then determine how a believer shall engage with them. And, and sometimes that just means standing on the ground of our faith as it is sort of it played out with this marriage vote. Um, other times it might mean a, a different strategy to advance uh, a biblical worldview. But um, uh, in the end of the day, it, it comes back to to saying, what does God say about this issue that we're dealing with? What is God's heart for uh, the nation? 
you know, from the perspective of Washington, D.C. and our nation's capital. So we're, I am I am happy to be called to the work you know, for as long as the Lord calls me to it. Um, but that's what we're doing here in D.C. Well, as you know, we've we've suffered a loss, I guess, uh, yesterday with this vote. I, I did want to start off, though. I was reading um, right before we got on the line, actually, Roger Severino's piece uh, in the Heritage Foundation that uh, he's the vice president of domestic policy. He's, he's written extensively on this issue as well. And I liked what he said. I mean, you know, because it was uh, um, a really difficult time for those of us in Alaska who put our hope and trust um, in uh, in Dan Sullivan. I, I should maybe rephrase that. We put our hope and trust in Jesus. And sometimes we have uh, public, public policy people that, that fall short. But to his credit, uh, Dan uh, Sullivan took the time to reach out to us in the faith community. We've had, uh, you know, we had a chance to dialogue uh, in person uh, for an extended period of time, and and he knew no uh, in no uncertain terms that we thought that this bill was not only unnecessary in terms of what the LGBT community was supposedly saying that they wanted, um, but it was opening up a pathway. To litigation and, and attacks on those of faith, and yet he obviously chose otherwise. And um, but you know he kept on saying and has said and continues to say, as I'm sure the 12 other Republicans that that did likewise are trying to convince their folks um, that they did the right thing. Um, you know that he was able to get the votes um, on the floor. But we kept on telling him in terms of the the stronger uh, religious liberty protection amendments that Senator Lee and Lankford and Rubio introduced. But what Severino said was if there's a sever, uh, if there's a silver lining, the Senate finally voted on Senator Mike Lee's First Amendment Defense Act and it received near unanimous Republican support. If I'm not mistaken, I think Murkowski was it Murkowski and Collins that were the only two? I can't remember now. Um, it's just two Collins. Yeah. What's that? Only only Senator Collins voted against uh, his amendment. Oh, really? I thought Murkowski did as well. Um, yeah, just but so but and one Democrat voted for. It. But so every every candidate running for president was what Severino, Severino said is a must pledge to pass this. People of faith will never forget today's vote nor despair. Rather, they will recommit to protecting our constitutional right to religious liberty and defending those who will face legal challenges and attacks in the wake of the Senate's action. Do you buy um, and I'm, I'm guessing that it's not the same or it's not uh, unique to Senator Sullivan, but do you buy um, what a lot of those 12 Republican senators that came over and voted for this, um, that they are truly trying to protect and believe that this protects us better than uh, than where we were before this was passed? No, I don't. I don't buy that because. The protections in this bill are so weak, um, they send the signal that religious liberty is not to be protected. They send the political signal that it's not of much value. And the reality is that the bill itself, by mandating a federal, uh, legislating the um, same-sex marriage into law and, and sending the signal as the national public policy now, um, will itself have negative religious freedom repercussions. 
So in light of those repercussions, you need to protect religious liberty. And the protections supposedly that were in this bill are so weak and minimal, they don't do anything against the massive weight of the the bill itself, against the 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 negative religious liberty impacts contained in the majority throughout the bill. And so, you know, when you when you examine the the bill and then the religious liberty protections side by side, it's like the bill is a boulder and the religious liberty protections are a little pebble. Boulder is going to roll over the pebble. And this is even aside from the point I made a minute ago about the signal that sends politically. Um, it sends the signal that religious liberty is not of much value. It, it, it sends the signal that all the religious liberty issues we've seen arise since Obergefell over the past seven years do not deserve protection. Meanwhile, Senator Lee's amendment would have protected most of those of victims, but the current protections do not protect most of those victims. So senators who vote for this, they may say they want to protect religious liberty, but they're not protecting the many people who who have have fought to protect their conscience against same-sex marriage over the past seven years and not receive protection. It would not protect those people. It leaves them hanging out to dry. And so uh, you can't, you know, really vote for this and and. A vote for this is not a vote for religious liberty. You can say you're trying to protect it, but the facts just don't hold up. They don't hold up. And so when Senator Lummis goes on the floor last night after the vote with Senator uh, Sinema and tries to claim this protects religious liberty, it it's, comes across very obviously as an attempt to cover her own tracks, make it appear as though she defends religious liberty, but she bailed on religious liberty. And all the senators who voted three times voting for this bill in 60 vote threshold votes. There are three separate votes as part of uh, over the past week, week or two in the Senate. All 12 Republicans voted with the Democrats in support of this bill in all three of those votes. So they clearly knew what they were doing. And sadly, you know, I think we're going to, hopefully we don't see the tragic consequences of this play out over the coming years. Uh, you know, we're concerned because I fear we will see them playing out, which is why we've raised so much concern about this. Um, hopefully we don't, but but I, I, I fear that these senators will see what they've done, look back on it and realize, what did I do? I thought I was protecting religious liberty, but I wasn't. And there's going to be an acceleration of negative consequences for people of faith who dissent uh, from the, the, the majority view that's in favor of same-sex marriage, the prevailing cultural view, uh, which is now being affirmed by Congress. Well, you know, I, I know that someone, uh, that some of those 12 Republican senators, including Murkowski, has always been an adamant supporter of same-sex marriage and, in her words, equality and all that stuff. And I, I don't know how much she believes that people of faith need to be protected. I think you know, at some level, she'd just like them to go away and, you know, you know, march to the tune of what the culture says is right. And but there are others like Joni Ernst and you would think Senator Sullivan and others that, you know, were elected by conservatives um, that truly believe that, oh, my gosh, we really are protecting religious liberty that wouldn't be there. One of the things that Senator Sullivan kept on telling us in private 
um, and I, I, I'm free to say this publicly, was that he kept on saying 90-60-10, those are the, or 90-60-0, 90% meaning, yeah, Senator Lee's amendment protects 90% of the religious liberty uh, issues. My bill, uh, you know, not my bill, but the bill that I came on board and was influential in, in getting um, on the floor was it protects 60 percent. But if we don't pass my bill, which is why he's saying he didn't vote for cloture or to end debate on it without the Lee Amendment, was if we don't get my this bill passed, then we're back to zero. So before um, you comment on that, we're just coming to the end of the break, though. But just that's what I want people to understand is that. At least that's what he is telling people is that I had to do this so that you can get to a, a better place of religious liberty protection because after Obergefell, we had nothing in place. And so now we're putting these things in place that are good for you. Um, and I think it's patronizing. I, I, I think it's uh, not genuine and when all is said and done because I think he's smart and he knows the pathway that has been created now. But I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on that uh, um, when we get back. Folks, we're, we're chatting um, with Travis Weber. He's the Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs at Family Research Council, and we'll be right back after the short break. Here on, I'm glad you said that. If you haven't uh, signed up at our website at akfamily.org, as you know, we're a ministry or a, a initiative of Alaska Family Council and our political arm, Alaska Family Action. We've been partnering with Family Research Council since our very be beginning. In fact, even prior to uh, forming back in 2006, we worked closely with uh, Family Research Council and, and Tony Perkins and the, the team. That is just, uh, I can't imagine you, um, not having FRC right there in D.C. They've, they're at the, the point of the spear, and, and we're just so blessed to have uh, a national presence and uh, an ally that we have. And, and you guys, Travis, I just can't thank you enough. Um, and it's a pleasure always working with you. I appreciate you being on the line today. So before the break, we talked about what uh, Sullivan had said, which is essentially – you don't know it, but um, you may not know it, but you need to get these protections in place that I'm providing, that this bill is providing, that the Collins Religious Protection Amendment provides. Um, and you may be getting feedback from folks like FRC and Heritage and, um, and Franklin Graham. And uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on about how many folks the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops that, that saw through that, that um, saw through the fact that they, they don't have teeth, the religious liberty protections. But according to Sullivan, and I'm sure some of those other 12 other Republican senators who voted with all of the Democrats on this Respect for Marriage Act, um, they believe that, at least they're saying, that without this passing, we wouldn't have had any protections. I think that that can be fairly easily dismantled. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's a silly claim. Um, first off, as, as I've discussed, the the passage of this bill with such weak protections, it, you know, it's like the protections are a pebble in the face of the boulder of this bill. The boulder is, is going to violate the religious freedom of of people of faith going forward, and they've put a, a pebble in its way 
and said, well, you wouldn't have had this pebble before this. Well, you also didn't have the boulder. And, you know, Republicans could have stopped this from passing. They could have said, we're just not going to support it. They didn't need to support it. I'm not aware of why they needed to support it. And so they could have stuck together, as Democrats often do, stopped it from passing. And I'm not supporting the promotion of a partisan divide on this. I mean, I I wish that it was bipartisan that protection of religious freedom was a bipartisan matter. I, I wish the Senator Lee's amendment got overwhelming bipartisan support, but it didn't. And so then those leaders, the senators who know better, who know that uh, uh, we're not going to be able to get religious freedom protections in the bill, should not compromise and say, well, I'm going to settle for these, these so-called protections. They should have said, they said that we're, we're holding our ground. And, um, Sorry, but but Senator Lee's inclusion of his amendment is a condition of our support of the bill. And if they held that ground, we could have seen real protections, and maybe the bill would not have passed. And you know what? That's fine, because uh, here we are, seven years after Obergefell, in spite of what the Democrats have claimed, no one is challenging same-sex marriage at the Supreme Court. Uh, same-sex marriages are being uh, licensed. They're being, being authorized around the country. And... Um, you know, everyone was proceeding along, you know, fine, so to speak, you know, and and the Democrats were the ones who advanced this bill. And instead of saying, no, it's unacceptable for these reasons, Republicans, 12 Republicans joined with them. So you can't really say that um, that, that we'd be worse off. It's, it's preposterous to say we're worse off without these protections. As I've already mentioned, they don't do anything to stop the violations of the bill. Secondly, they're so minimal that they even even apart from the bills protections, they would send the signal that 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 this is all that is to be protected in the post same sex marriage era. And what is that? What are the what does the bill protect? Protects churches, pastors, religious colleges, uh, as long as they're engaged in the furtherance of religion and in the solemnization performance of a marriage. So it does not even protect them in all the areas where they need protection, the expression of their faith, for example, in their coded conduct, their housing policies, private facilities. Um, it, it, it has no bearing on those areas. And those were all the, the, the struggles have been over the past number of years. It's not protecting individuals like Jack Phillips. You know, so, so the question for Senator Sullivan is, well, you're obviously okay leaving Jack Phillips hanging out to dry because the bill doesn't protect him. Uh, he needs protection. And he's been fighting at the Supreme Court. So to say the minimal protections in the bill are better than nothing, it's a silly claim because they don't do anything to stop the violations of freedom that this bill will unleash. Secondly, they set the ball back massively when it comes to the goalposts of religious freedom. The right. goalposts of religious freedom somewhere around where Senator Lee was on his amendment. And um, and this is far different from that. So it's it's an attempt to cover tracks, try to make everyone happy. Uh, but but we can't buy something that's just not true, does not bear up to the facts on the ground. So I'm not certain how it would work, but since we had, um, you know, nearly every Republican senator that voted for Lee's amendment and one Democrat, was that Manchin? I don't know who that was. Yes, Senator Manchin voted for uh, that amendment. For Lee's amendment. It seems that with the new House, um, you know, is it is it their responsibility? Certainly, it's not going to happen from Alaska's perspective because we lost our sole U.S. representative, Don Young, who passed away, and because of ranked choice voting, we now have Mary Paul Tola, who will be all on board with 
the LGBTQ agenda, but can this new Congress do anything? Should they do anything? What, with the with the the power in the House now, with uh, a, a new speaker, what can and should they do, knowing that the Senate um, had the, at least the Republicans had broad majority support for Lee's amendment? What, what's the next step federally? Yeah, I mean, I think the religious freedom issue is not going away. It's one that we need to address. And, um, you know, I think I think Republicans in the House will have an opportunity to to show um, show what they're made of and, and, and really, uh, it, it, you know, not only this, it'll be a contrast with current Democratic House. But but I think in that contrast, um, what we want to show is what Republicans are willing to stand for defense of family, defense of life defense of religious freedom as they enter a new Congress. And obviously, you know, the, the in recent years, the protection of minors from gender transition procedures, protection of the unborn have taken a, gotten a lot of focus. Those are policies that we hope um, the new House advances and, and puts its marker in the sand, even if they don't pass the Senate. Uh, but I think this, this bill, this struggle shows the need religious freedom is not going away. And although that issue has been dormant in discussion somewhat recent years, a lot of the struggles have played out of the courts. Um, certainly, I think, I think um, a, a broad protection for religious freedom, like what Senator Lee's amendment articulated, is one that Republicans should be able to get behind. And, um, you know, it's one that the new House could reasonably take up especially if this bill, um, uh, uh, you know, if this bill becomes law, this, this bill has to go back to the House now and be signed into law. But um, but Republicans could say, look, that bill, that marriage bill did not protect religious freedom. We need to protect religious freedom. We'll have to see how that plays out. But certainly the new House in January is going to have opportunity to put its marker in the sand on the protection of family, embrace the social issues, which – you know, we've seen is a winning formula. Um, in the case, you look at the case of Florida, Governor DeSantis down there, articulating a strong uh, case um, uh, for protecting minors from gender transition procedures through the state executive branch down there, taking on Disney on the social issues. Um, and and I think I think House Republicans have a chance to do that in January as well. Do you think Kevin McCarthy, as our new upcoming speaker, is going to take this serious and, and is going to lead on this issue? I do think he's going to take these issues seriously. You know, the the agenda that they have put forth um, in recent months, you know, marking out the Republican position in, embraces the social issues. It embraces life. It um, it talks about some specifics, including women's sports, uh, protection of women's sports. Um, I think we need to continue to help our Republican leadership see that there are many, many Americans of faith and many others who support very common sense positions. That parents get to direct the upbringing of their children. The state does not own the kids, as many in the education and Democrat establishment want us to believe. Um, that's quite common sense, and that's something that should be embraced as, as good for families, good for America the protection of the unborn, the opportunity Dobbs has given us, and the defense of the family against these crazy attacks on the youth. Um, 
in the area of gender ideology that are that are resulting in the mutilation of their bodies, telling them that that's normal and okay, um, altering their biological sex, altering the reality. Republicans that have an opportunity to defend and articulate um, a defense of the family against these attacks at the na- on the national stage. I do think um, uh, Kevin McCarthy is aware of this, and uh, I hope that we will see a very aggressive embrace of the family uh, of defense of the family in the new Congress. Well, it's going to be helpful when we try it. Well, you know what? Let's take a break real fast. Folks, we're uh, speaking with Travis Weber at the Emmy Research Council. We'll be right back after this last break. Travis Weber here on, I'm glad you said that, uh, he's Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs at Family Research Council, and we were talking about how Kevin McCarthy, the new Speaker of the House, um, you know, I believe, and I think Travis believes as well, has a responsibility to address some of these things, especially in light of what happened in the Senate. It was bad, but there were some signs of breath in terms of senators who are taking religious liberty seriously, I question at some point when I sit down with Sullivan again, is going to say, listen, yeah, we've sent out tweets and, and uh, emails and action alerts telling you very specifically how disappointed we are in you, but you also voted for and have told me personally that you're for the religious liberty protections provided in Senator Lee's amendment. And so how do we move forward now? How do we start thinking about that now? Obviously, in the Senate, it's, it's going to be a tough haul, but certainly in the House, we have some uh, some ground to possibly gain. And one of those uh, is seeing if we can get a vote at some level, because we have people like Mary Peltola, who has just been elected as our first Democrat U.S. House member in 50 years. Um, and so it'd be nice to see where she stands on this issue. I think we all know where she stands but so I want to get back to, to something else here in terms of, you know, I've had that question a, lo- a lot from people who are saying, how did those 12 uh, get convinced to do this? Um, you know, it was it was it was pretty amazing to see um, that separation. And, you know, I've heard, well, the remnants getting smaller and, and people are starting to. You know, the number of Christian colleges that are adopting the LGBTQ agenda is growing, and this is just the way it is. But I'm not sure if that's the full picture. I mean, one of the things that Dan Sullivan told me personally in our meeting was that that he agreed um, with the important conclusion of Walter Kim, the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, and of course, he mentioned the eldest church and others who supposedly supported the religious, uh, or the Respect for Marriage Act. But then I pointed out to him in an email or a text that I got from a colleague in uh, in Maine, Carol Connolly, who works with Senator Collins, and he knows uh, Galen Carey, who's the vice president of government relations for the um, uh, for the National Association of Evangelicals, and and they did not endorse the Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, and and so it's interesting to me that and I brought that up in the meeting when we had several faith leaders. I said, Dan, you can say that, but here's the letter right now that's saying no, that was misinterpreted by the Washington Post. Um, but 
But at the same time, the CCCU, the, the, I can't remember, the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, I think, um, and the LDS Church, and there are some others that have supported this. So do you see that division taking place within the body of Christ um, that has been predicted since the beginning of time? But I mean, that there's winnowing that's taking place. And because of that, some of these senators were fooled by saying, hey, listen, I have trustworthy people in the faith community who are telling me that this is good. That's part of the equation. But what else do you attribute these 12 senators going awry or going astray? I think it's probably a combination of personal pressure uh, of the emotional sort that, you know, you don't really want to be seen as hateful and opposed to these people. And there's a failure to do a critical, intellectual, and fair analysis of what should be a public policy determination, not their own personal feelings about the issue. But that that creates pressure. I, I suspect some of that was there, some of that in the form of pressure from their fellow senators as well. They want to maintain relationships with people who don't agree with them. They may be pressured by those people. Uh, so they're not on the outs in that relationship. And and you have some like Roy Blunt retiring, don't really, you know, feel a need to answer their own constituents anymore. I mean, that really just exposes where he is at, though, you know, that, that he presumably would not pay attention anymore to his constituents um, and focus more on, on his own sort of position in the limelight of, 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 of elite opinion, I suspect, you know, the, the desire to be liked in elite circles, the circles in which some of these senators are running is also a factor. Um, I will say that, you know, I think, you know, with regard to the citation to religious groups supporting this, I'm not so sure that, that how much of that is legitimate. It could be. It could be that some senators generally look to the opinion of the CCCU and other groups. I expect that those groups were useful uh, tools in the hands of these senators, though, to justify their opinion, because they could say, look, we're pointing to a religious group that supports the religious freedom protections of this bill. And they don't really otherwise care about what that religious group thinks, possibly. I don't know this, but, but it seems to me that that's likely how that's playing out. I'm not so sure they're genuinely counting the noses of how many Christians do these groups represent versus others, because there were a number of groups, including FRC, opposed to this, making our concerns very clear. We represent a lot of people. And so the senators had an opportunity to note the concerns of the Christian community, and they didn't do that. They chose to then attempt to defend and justify themselves, including in part by pointing to names of groups like the CCCU and others who, who, who supposedly supported the bill. And so um, I think that's just a useful attempt. The, the, the groups support, those groups provide the senators a useful attempt, useful ammunition to deflect from, from having to answer tough questions about why didn't you actually support religious freedom protections. Um, you know, and I think um, there, there could be some genuine confusion in the mix where they're hearing from different lawyers and, and people, staffers close to them about what the bill would and would not do. Um, and in all that, they, they're, they're not uh, accurately in onboarding the concerns of, of um, Christians around the country and in their constituencies. There's, 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 been, there's too many voices 
many voices that perhaps they listened to close to them who did not accurately convey what the bill would do. And so the senators are saying, we think we accurately understand this, but in actuality, they don't. And because all you have to do is look at the record the past seven years of, of religious freedom violations uh, post Obergefell, court cases, government actions against uh, believers, to see that those cases are not protected in the text of this bill. And uh, so unfortunately, that point, that reality did not break through to their minds, or they just chose to disregard it. And I think there was probably some of both. How fast do you think litigation will transpire once the ink is dry? And I, I don't see any uh, barriers to this getting on Biden's desk necessarily. Um, but, you know, the claim that they say that the bill can't be used as a basis for the IRS to to deny the taxes and status of of groups like uh, schools, they keep on bringing up the, um, uh, you know, the Bob Jones case. And, and they're saying that, uh, I mean, it, it, what is it? I think Severino said identical to the question of tax status, although the bill wouldn't by its own operation revoke licenses, grants, accreditation, or other benefits for religious organizations that hold fast to man-woman marriage. The bill similarly fails to provide any affirmative defense to prevent bureaucrats from using bureaucrats from using it as a basis for doing so. Do you do you see in the um, in the near future this being used as a sword um, coming out of the gates, or is it going to be a slow poison that's leaked? Yeah, I, th I think it'll it'll accelerate the attacks on religious freedom. And I think Roger Severino is right. It's going to be looked to by those looking to go after religious entities who do not agree with the the the, the um, the popular elite opinion in favor of same-sex marriage now, in which uniformity will be coerced and forced to get people to agree with that. It will be used against religious colleges, um, against individual believers living in the public square, and um, they will continue to find and root out dissenters um, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a hint of a way that we've seen totalitarian regimes do in years past. The reality right. is, is there are shapes of this passing through America now, and you see it uh, manifesting in instances like this. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was uh, stunning in, was it two years ago? I think it was, uh, um, oh, I'm forgetting the school name now. Uh, it was one of the Cinderella stories in the NCAA finals, um, and it was a Christian school, uh, and I remember the tweets that were coming out saying, you know what, this school has a, a, a an outdated view of marriage. They need to not even be invited anymore to NCAA tournaments. I mean, it's just, it's all over, the writing's on the wall, but we're standing strong because that's what we're called to do. Travis, we're at the end of our um, short podcast here. I can't thank you enough for what you do, and God bless you and your family. Merry Christmas. Keep up the fight. We can't thank you enough for standing in the gap and we certainly will be connected here again soon thank you very much thanks for having me on okay folks we'll be back again next week here on i'm glad you said that stay tuned